Hello and welcome to the SSP Weekly Podcast, where we dissect security and foreign policy stories from this week, and we talk about life in D.C. We are your hosts, Gareth Smythe and Miriam Pasternak. We are the directors of the Georgetown University Precision Guided Podcast. And we are very excited that you tuned in today. We have one story for you today, and it of course concerns the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel on the 7th of October and the subsequent Israeli response, which is dominating security news this week. Before we go on, Gareth and I wanted to acknowledge the contentious nature of this issue and emphasize that the purpose of this episode is to continue what this podcast mission has been from the beginning, which is to reflect on the most important security issues in the world and connect them with academic student scholarship to highlight the concepts that we're studying here at the School of Foreign Service. Yeah, thanks, Miriam. I think that's an important point to underscore. And of course, as we discussed, you and I are both horrified at the loss of life in the region, both from the deliberate terrorist attack against Israel and Israel's subsequent response in Palestine. The events in Israel and Palestine are ongoing, and we don't intend to supplement any day-to-day updates or commentary currently being provided by the news. Rather, we intend to look at this event retrospectively to shed some light on the relationship between Israel and Hamas and what the Israeli policies toward Palestine were before the attack. To that end, I interviewed our colleague, Zach Markinson, who during his studies on terrorism has focused on exactly this issue, actually. In December of 2022, he wrote the paper, Countering Hamas for a More Peaceful Gaza, in, in which he made uh, what I'd believe to be some very interesting and important predictions um, that are certainly relevant today following this horrific attack. So let's give it a listen. Welcome to the third episode of SSP Weekly, Zach. Um, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Glad, glad to join the SSP Weekly Club you guys have going on here. Um, Zach, first of all, could I ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Zach Markinson. I'm a second year student at SSP with a concentration in terrorism and substate violence. I actually took the core terrorism, counterterrorism class in my first semester here which is where I sort of dove into all things Hamas, which is unfortunately a little bit too relevant today. Yeah. Um, so my first question is actually, if you could describe the history of Hamas and what kind of organization it is today. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the relevant time to start off with is back in the 1990s, Basically, Hamas originated as a political group that basically added on a military wing, commonly known as the Qassam Brigades. This military wing was basically formed as a reaction to the Israeli-Palestinian peace process that was ongoing back in the 90s at the time. And they initially started off and sort of burst into the frame of a 
Israeli attention and international attention through their frequent and sustained effort of carrying out suicide bombings against Israeli civilians, particularly against buses, bus stations, transportation hubs, where they were carrying out some pretty devastating suicide bombings of a wide range of Israeli civilians at the time. They ended up actually gaining more power about in the 2000s, in the 2006 election, where a Palestinian election, where they actually gained control, basically de facto control over Gaza Strip in 2006. Ever since then, there have basically been an Israeli-Egyptian blockade of this small territory in between Israel and the Mediterranean Sea called the Gaza Strip, where Hamas is basically the de facto group in control of this territory. And Israel has sought multiple ways to try to counter Hamas's influence and counter their indiscriminate targeting of Israeli civilians emanating from that territory in Gaza. One of the one of the first ways that Israel has been doing this is their sort of commonly known mowing the grass strategy, which is basically a containment strategy to control the level of violence emanating from the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. So Hamas has typically carried out uh, rocket attacks that send rockets from Gaza into Israel, uh, indiscriminately targeting Israeli civilians. Israel tends to, basically, their mowing the grass strategy is managing that level of violence from Hamas by, by using airstrikes to sort of, in a targeted manner, degrade those Hamas military tactics. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling to understand the role of the Palestinian Authority, which is also a player within Gaza and within the the Palestinian territory. Could you talk a little bit about what the Palestinian Authority is and how does the U.S. and Israel um, categorize the Palestinian Authority and their legitimacy? Yeah, so the Palestinian Authority is an interesting, there, there are so many different groups within like the Palestinian population, right? So Hamas is basically the predominantly control predominantly controls Gaza, but they also have various smaller groups that try to vie with them for control of Gaza and also over in the West Bank where Palestinian Authority is the primary governing structure within the West Bank. Israel has cooperated that with the Palestinian Authority, particularly the Fatah Party, a little bit more, and they also don't consider them a foreign terrorist organization. Hamas is a U.S.-designated foreign terrorist organization. The Palestinian Authority is not a terrorist organization. They're sort of the de facto governing structure in West Bank, and the United States and Israel have actually... Uh, primarily the United States, a lot of the funding that goes to the Palestinian people actually get sent to the Palestinian Authority specifically, um, and of course stays far away from Hamas in the in those cases. So that's basically the their 
a lot less extreme than a lot of the other uh, small smaller factions that compete with them, basically. How do you think the Palestinian Authority views this operation conducted by Hamas? Are they in any way, do they in any way have aligned motives with Hamas or do they completely separate themselves from Hamas as an organization because of the violence? I think there's a decent amount of separation between the two. The Palestinian Authority hasn't necessarily came out and condemned um, Hamas Hamas's violence, but they also haven't necessarily supported Israel either. There's a interesting in between there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason for this uh, is basically they're limited in their ability to align further towards Israel because then they actually end up losing a lot of political power, which is a big thing that's happened in the last, I would say, decade or two, is Hamas is sort of seen as this defender of the Palestinian people. That's what their goal is in in, ter- in terms of really standing up to Israel and, and resistance of what they would consider the Israeli occupation. Now, the Fatah government in West Bank can't really align too closely to Israel because then they're going to lose uh, popular support from the Palestinian people that they're working with. But they do end up supporting more peaceful policies than groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, PIJ, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and other sort of sub-state actors that are terrorist organizations that do actually indiscriminately target civilians. I think the Fatah government is a more stable alternative, but still not the always the best in terms of really aligning with Israel because they can't do that without really losing a lot of popular support from the people, which is one of the sort of policy restraints that Israel has with Hamas as well, is that Hamas, uh, Israel previously didn't want to completely dismantle Hamas out of fear that additional extremists mm. that could be even more, uh, more violent with even more extreme views. Oh, go ahead. So, yeah. So, so this leads me to uh, another question I have based on, on something you wrote in your paper. You talk a little bit about the dangers of completely eliminating Hamas, which uh, Israel has been hesitant to do in the in the past few years. You write, while it could militarily defeat Hamas, Israel could not overthrow Hamas without risking the possibility that a more radical organization would govern Gaza. Yeah, I think that that was the predominant view before this situation going on, before this, you know, really what looks like almost a conventional invasion of 1,000 Hamas fighters uh, invading Israeli Israeli sovereign territory. You know, obviously everyone knows in the media exactly how many uh, civilians and Israeli military members uh, were killed. But yeah, getting that, I think that was the predominant view of a lot of the analysts, a lot of the experts that I was looking at through my research was there there was a lot of fear other competing groups mm-hmm. you know 
gaining more power that have even more extreme views than Hamas. I think that the policy implications since then, because of the current attack, I think that's going to change in relatively drastic ways, I think, with, with all the trauma that Israel is going through right now, and really the international community with, you know, mm-hmm. there was 11 Americans killed as well in Hamas's attacks in Israel. A, a lot of this trauma is really going to cause Israel to go back and ask some really hard questions about their policies, how effective their policies have been, and really how effective sort of the containment strategy, the mowing the grass strategy has been against Hamas. That leads me to another point that you made um, in your paper, which people, of course, are also talking about right now. Um, you write another consideration that causes Israeli policymakers to be hesitant uh, to allocate more military resources to Hamas is the ongoing existential threat from Iran. Could you talk a little bit about how Iran has played a role in the conflict up to now and what that means in the Israeli decision-making process after this horrendous attack? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are going to be a lot of hard questions asked in terms of Israel's policies towards Hamas, as well as Israel's sort of intelligence attention being possibly, this is just uh, sort of possibilities at this time, but the possibility of Israel focusing in so much on the Iranian threat that they might have been a little bit blindsided by the Hamas threat here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know, part of their containment strategy was exactly because of this looming Iran ex- existential threat with their nuclear program, their ballistic missiles that can hit, many of which can hit, conventional missiles can hit Israel from Iran. A lot of their attention was focused on Iran uh, before this, and they've sort of had had to quickly shift back over to the Hamas uh, situation in Gaza. Historically, Iran has, it's quite well known, there's a close relationship and financial supply, munition, weapons, support, and deliveries over to Hezbollah, which is the primary foreign terrorist organization that primarily operates within Lebanon, southern Lebanon. Iran has historically also provided support in the forms of munitions, weapons, technology, and financial support for Hamas and a lot of these other smaller groups like the PIJ and other groups in Palestine region. Iran basically considers that their sort of axis of resistance, right, where they're they're funding and supporting all these non-state actors, whether it's Hezbollah, Hamas, and all these other groups. I think that's one of the key aspect that has increased Hamas's capabilities emanating from Gaza. Mm-hmm. So Gaza is predominantly cut off from most of the rest of the world. You know, you have, you know, fences around this strip of land that you can either go into Israel, which is difficult to do, although Israel does allow small numbers of Gaza civilians to pass into Israel for work and economic opportunities. They also have a crossing into Egypt, again, very difficult for Gaza civilians 
to get out over to Egypt. But Iran has consistently delivered munitions, support, and even just in recent years, the ability of Hamas to create its own rockets that have higher, longer ranges than they have than they've had before. A lot of that is attributed to Iranian support of Hamas and these groups. A lot of these capabilities are enabling Hamas to start targeting these cities further away from Gaza Mm -hmm. and put even more Israeli civilians in danger as well. Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned how Israel has sort of had to shift their strategic focus from the existential threat from Iran to this immediate threat from Hamas. I can't help but um, but quote you again from your paper because you were, um, unfortunately, it proved to be um, true what you wrote. You wrote that Israel's policies to counter Hamas uh, repeatedly have confronted shortfalls in long-term strategic success. And you say that most policies are effective for the short term, but far less effective for the long term. What do you see as the most important strategic considerations that Israel is facing right now? I know it's a hard question, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, really, really diving into the easy ones now. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this this is one of those times where, like, it's almost unfortunate that I was unfortunately a little bit accurate on that. I, I think even now, you know, when I was when you're thinking short-term, long-term, I wasn't expecting long-term to be this, uh, this present, this quickly, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that sort of just goes back to the common perception of Israelis, Israel's national security enterprise really is really good tactically, but strategically they're, some shortcomings at times. And I think in this situation, you know, you, you've had so many previous, I'll call them flare-ups to just dif- differentiate what Israel is going through now versus what they've gone through in previous years with sort of flare-ups and, you know, uh, Hamas will mm-hmm. launch a barrage of rockets, Israel will sort of return with the mowing the grass strategy of sort of targeted airstrikes at Hamas military capabilities. I think that policy objective of just containing Hamas is going to change, uh, will most likely change uh, once sort of the initial reaction period has, has continued. I think there, as I said before, there's already been calls from Israeli military uh, leaders to completely dismantle Hamas's military capabilities. I think that goes to show that this isn't just going to be an airstrike, you know, mowing the grass and let's contain them um, reaction from Israel. At the time we were recording on on Tuesday here, I'm I'm sure things will change as well in the coming days but i think a lot of a lot of people that are looking at this really war between hamas and israel are not really asking if israel is going to 
conduct a ground invasion of Gaza, it's really when. Mm -hmm. And I think the extent of that ground invasion will really tell us what policies we should expect from Israel moving forward. What is the risk level that Israeli policymakers and civilians are willing to sort of absorb from their neighbor over in Gaza? In terms of strategically, you know, we talk about Hamas in Gaza, we talk about various sort of clashes in the West Bank to Israel's east. There have also been there there have also been concerns about Hezbollah taking this opportunity in the north to conduct a ground ground incursions. I think there have been small scale attempts and sort of testing of waters from Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. Um well waters, land, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, Um, you know, land, land, sea, everything. But um, there there have been some test, test incursions from Hezbollah. Um, And then, you know, at the sort of zooming out at a strategic level, when you, when you go back to Iran, I think Iranian involvement in this specific attack will be a really key factor or Iranian involvement or lack thereof, U.S. government officials have claimed so far that there hasn't been any direct evidence of close Iranian involvement um, or like tacit, like direct support for Hamas's attack. But the key word there is yet. We don't know to what extent Iran did or did not know about this at this time. There was a unconfirmed report that Iran may have known. Uh, Iran has publicly, you know, dismissed and declined that report. Uh, But that's going to be a key factor in terms of the Iranian involvement is something that definitely needs to be looked closely at. And also whether or not Hezbollah and other regional actors decide to get involved at a at a certain point, that's really the one of the major risks for escalation to a more regionally focused conflict instead of a just Israel versus Hamas conflict here. I see. Zach, I want to say thank you so much for participating in this week's SSP Weekly. I know it's an evolving topic and the events are unfolding as we speak, but um, it was very insightful to get some perspective on Hamas um, and what the Israeli policies have been towards Hamas. And we'll see in the future how much uh, this operation is going to change. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Miriam, I thought the interview with Zach accomplished what we had set out to do, which is explain some of these structural features that led to the events that we saw over the weekend. And this is a good lesson for other Western countries like the United States and our current kind of political um, issues. You know, look at the news about the House of Representatives this week and the lack of uh, choosing a speaker again. Like when populations are distracted on important issues, but distracted nonetheless, 
these things can slip through the cracks. And so it'll be interesting, as you said, when the analysis comes out to see how much of a factor these things were. I will say that Israel has a history of um, learning from situations like this. You know, we saw the commission after the Yom Kippur War, which led to a lot of internal changes. And so it'll be interesting to see the conclusions that come out um, with regard to future improvement on that score. Yeah, um, we talked about this, you and I, and I think one of the important things to highlight is also state actors in this conflict, right? Which really sets the Israel conflict apart from many others is how state and non-state actors really play an active role, which we also have to keep in mind. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you've seen Israel make several geopolitical bets yeah. over the past several years, right? They, uh, some analysts have said that their uh, response to the war in Ukraine that Russia is is waging um, was muted uh, in an attempt to keep relationships with Russia or Israel's relationship with Russia open. Um, right, Israel has a lot of um, or does a lot of work with Russia in Syria, mm-hmm. and so you know, and, and has other interests in that regard. And uh, and so you know, Israel has invested in the relationship with Russia. Israel has also invested a great deal in the relationship with the People's Republic of China. Uh, and has focused on, um, you know, trade and other uh, cooperative efforts with China. And I think Israel has been disappointed mm-hmm. publicly mm-hmm. by the statements that have come out of both uh, China, which uh, occurred kind of right after the event and then was subsequently uh, revised um, at Israel's and the United States' request to, yeah. to highlight about the loss of life. Yeah, the Chinese response was really just a response to the Israel-Palestine conflict in general, not emphasizing that this was an attack on Israel, right? That's, of course, in Israel's view, seen as offensive, or at the very least, as not supporting Israel. Yeah, and I, I mean, and Israel made as made that clear to yeah. to you know through its embassy in in Beijing made that made their disappointment with that initial statement clear, and and obviously. Um, Senator Schumer, the majority leader here in the U.S., who was actually visiting Beijing at the time, um, also made his thoughts on that score clear. And you saw China release a statement, like I said, that um, highlighted a little bit more about the mutual loss um, on both sides of the conflict. Uh, And then you had Russia just release a statement a few hours ago, um, its first statement since the attack, so, uh, you know, almost a week later. In, uh, in which it called for, for calm. And, you know, contrast the response of China and Russia with the response of the United States, which has been uh, robust. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, there's been a recognition about the bilateral relationship between the United States and Israel in a way that has softened since some of those internal domestic disputes that you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't, it'll be interesting to see how Israel rethinks some of its diplomacy and diplomatic investments in the context of of the statements being made by countries across the world after this attack. It certainly is important to remember how the U.S.-Israeli very strong relationship and also the remarks uh, made by Joe Biden this week certainly plays into the strategical considerations of great state players such as China, Russia, Iran, uh, etc., yeah, I mean, I think I think the context that Zach provided was helpful uh, as we continue to watch um, this situation unfold without a wider escalation of a conflict. That actually wraps up um, this week's episode. Um, with that, we want to say thank you 
uh, to our listeners and to Zach for providing some insight. 